We're going to do that in a moment. Uh, in the Church Bible, that's page 230. In the large print, that's page 352. Uh, it would be helpful if you had a Bible um, with you to follow along. There are some uh, at the back if you want to uh, go and collect one. Uh, but we're going to mainly be in those chapters uh, in Joshua. But before we look at the passage in more detail, let me, let me pray. Because uh, there's some things in here which are perhaps difficult for us to read uh, or for us to understand. And it's always good that we can ask the Lord uh, to help us uh, to understand these things. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this evening, I pray that your spirit would help us and open our eyes and open our minds to understand what your word has to say to us. Lord, these words were written and took place a long time ago, but every one of the words in this book is true and applies to us even today. So help us to see how these apply to our lives, and we thank you, Father, for the truth of your word and for how it helps us to know you. May we know you more tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> amen. Some of you may know who this picture on the screen is. Some of you may not. Uh, I'm sure most of you do. This is a picture of uh, Tony Benn, who uh, died in March last year. He was a Labour politician for many years, and he remained active in politics up to the point of his death uh, last year. Now, regardless of what you think of his politics, I'm not interested in that tonight, but he's interesting for tonight's passage for this reason. One of the reasons he uh, is famous is that in 1963, he inherited a title, uh, Viscount Stansgate, upon the death of his father. And Tony Benn was an MP in the House of Commons. And he didn't want to be in the House of Lords, which when he inherited this title, he would have to be there. And he, would have to, he had to resign his seat in the Commons and go into the Lords. And he didn't want to do this, partly because he wanted to remain in the Commons to represent his constituency, but partly because he just didn't believe in hereditary rights. And so, in 1963, after years of campaigning, the Peerage Act came in and he could disclaim his inheritance and so no longer was a Viscount and therefore could be in the House of Commons. And he died without that title. He disinherited it. He disclaimed it so he could stay with what he wanted to be. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, you might think it's just an interesting piece of history. Well, it illustrates an important point for us to understand this part of Joshua. And the point is this. As Christians, we have an inheritance. God has given us an inheritance that is ours. But we have to claim that inheritance for ourselves. Like Tony Benn, we can decide to, to forget it and to dis, to, to dis, not to claim it. And we'll see that that happened for some of the people of God here. But we have the right of possession. It was rightfully Tony Benn's. It was given to him. He didn't deserve it by anything he did, but he had to claim it and he chose not to. And regardless of what you think of his decision, for us as Christians, we need to be claiming what God has blessed us with. We're foolish 
if we disinherit, disclaim our inheritance. Uh, last week, as we looked at Joshua, we saw uh, the beginning of the division of the land. And the book is, is split into two main uh, large sections. The first part is uh, what uh, a couple of people have come to me and said they didn't enjoy, which was uh, the, the, the conquest of the land. But in the second part, we see the division of the land, as God gives the inheritance to the people. And we began to see that last week. We saw how uh, God began to allocate the land to his people. And you may be asking, well, what relevance has this section got to do with us today? In this part of Joshua, we're gonna, we'll see, although we won't read them all, lots and lots of names of various cities. And we can look at them and think, well, it would have been so much easier and less uh, pages if you just took those out. And they can just appear to be only interesting if you're an insomniac and like to read lots of names. But they're so important because they foreshadow the inheritance that we have as God's people. In the Old Testament, the inheritance is here. It's the physical land of Israel. It was promised to Abraham in Genesis, in chapters 12 and 13 and 15. And as Abraham's descendants, they inherited the land promised to them. And in Joshua, we see them being given that promised land. That inheritance. But this foreshadows the New Testament. In Romans we read in chapter 4 how Abraham is the father of all who believe. And so that we as Christians are children of God. And we have an inheritance. And in Romans chapter 8, this is the only time I'm going to turn to another passage, but just listen rather than turn there. We read about the inheritance in the New Testament that we have. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 17, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought you uh, your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We are children of God, and as children of God we are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. So we are heirs to an inheritance. And what is this inheritance? We read it in Colossians. It's being part of the kingdom of God. It's a wonderful inheritance. It's an inheritance of eternal life. An inheritance of of heaven, where we'll be with God forevermore. And we receive part of that inheritance, the physical part, when we die as Christians. But even now, as we live in the kingdom of God under his rule, we receive an inheritance that we have to claim. The New Testament tells us of the fruits of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. The knowledge that comes from God, the peace of God that passes understanding, all these things and more we read about in the New Testament. We could do a whole Bible study on our inheritance, but we won't do that tonight. But you can read all sorts of things in the New Testament that we inherit as Christians and we have to go and claim those things. Now, of course, there's an aspect of our inheritance that we are waiting for. As children of God, it's like when you have a will and you have to wait till you're 21 or 25 before you can inherit the rest of it. And as children of God, when we die, we inherit the physical, uh, we, we inherit being with God uh, physically. 
But eventually, the Bible tells us in Revelation about the new heaven and the new earth. Those who are victorious, it says, will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. So our inheritance in the far future, or maybe not far future, should the Lord return today, is for us to be physically in a physical place with a resurrected body, with our Saviour, forever. It's wonderful, isn't it? What an inheritance that we have as God's people. This land here is, is a list of names, but it foreshadows what we have in Christ. And therefore, we can read Joshua and read these four chapters through and we can say, Hallelujah! Because I, as a children of Abraham, inherit not this small bit of land, but eternal life in heaven with God. And I praise God as I read Joshua. But you'll praise God too that we're not going to go through this verse by verse. We're going to dip in and dip out uh, of this passage, but list out the main aspects of what God is telling us as we read this. And the first thing we see in this passage is that our inheritance is allocated according to God's will. In chapter 14, last week, in verse 2, we read that their inheritance were assigned by Lot. Now, Lot was where they pulled, basically, it's, it's the equivalent of pulling it out of a hat. And what you get is what you receive. It shows the divinity of the gift. We'll see that they met before God and God allocated the land as, um, as, as he decided. And in chapter 15, verse 1, the first verse of tonight's passage, we see that the land allocated began to the tribe of Judah according to its clans. So it's a continuation of the process began in chapter 14 by Lot. And it's seen more clearly in chapters 18 and 19 with the allocation for the final two tribes where we read repeatedly the Lot came up for. And I want to read uh, that passage uh, shortly. But as you see uh, how the Lord allocated the land, we see that he gives specific areas of land to each tribe. Most of the time without particular reason as to where that is. God doesn't give his reasons why the land is allocated as it is. We see that some tribes have bigger sections than others because some tribes are bigger than others. But often we just see no reason as to why they're given what they are. It's given according to God's will. In chapter 15 we read about Judah. And in chapter 15 uh, we read the most extensive description of all of the tribes. Why? Well, the only reason that I can think of, although it doesn't tell us, is that Judah, who was the fourth son of Jacob, was to become a prominent tribe in Israel because from them the kings would come. David and Solomon were from the tribe of Judah. Later on, they became an independent nation in that land that they were allocated. But God allocated it according to his will. In chapter 16, Uh, And 17, we read how the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim are given extensive descriptions too. Probably because they were the tribes who inherited a double portion because they were the sons of Jacob's favourite son, Joseph. Other than these reasons, there seems to be no other reason why the specific land given was given to the people it was given to. But in a way, we can look at our spiritual inheritance in this way too. 
For God allocates his spiritual gifts, for example, according to his will. Each of us, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 we read, has gifts according to how God gives the gifts. Some of us are able to do things others can't. I led the Sunday school in song this morning, it's not my gift. God has not given me that gift, but I tried my very best. But we all have gifts. Sometimes uh, they're gifts we inherit from our parents, but spiritual gifts are gifts given by the Holy Spirit. And some are given, some are not given. Some are given at specific times for seasons, sometimes not. It's according to God's will. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 12. Sometimes we see some churches growing in a, in a, in a, ma- in a massive way. Sometimes revival comes. And we wonder, well, why is it there and not here? It's according to God's will. It's in God's control. But another area where we apply this truth is shown in chapter 18. Because when we look at this, we can think, well, how does this apply to me? How can we apply the fact that everything is given according to God's will? So let's have a look at chapter 18. As we come to chapter 18, uh, we see that the children of Israel gather at Shiloh. Uh, they, they were at Gilgal when they were at war. They come to Shiloh when they are at peace. Shiloh uh, means peace or means rest. And it's in the centre of the land. And it's a good location, therefore, for people to come and meet, uh, meet the Lord. And they put there the tent of meeting where the whole nation would gather. And we read in chapter 18, verses 1 to 10. The whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The country was brought under their control, but there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. So Joshua said to the Israelites, How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you? Appoint three men from each tribe. I will send them out to make a survey of the land and to write a description of it according to the inheritance of each. Then they will return to me. You are to divide the land into seven parts. Judah is to remain in its territory on the south and the tribes of Joseph in their territory on the north. After you have written descriptions of the seven parts of the land, bring them here to me and I will cast lots for you in the presence of the Lord our God. The Levites, however, do not get a portion among you because the priestly service of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh have already received their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave it to them. As the men started on their way to map out the land, Joshua instructed them, go and make a survey of the land and write a description of it. Then return to me and I will cast lots for you here at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord. So the men left and went through the land. They wrote its descriptions on a scroll, town by town, in seven parts, and returned to Joshua in the camp at Shiloh. Joshua then cast lots for them in Shiloh in the presence of the Lord, and there he distributed the land to the Israelites according to their tribal divisions. Well here we read three times in ten verses that they cast lots in the presence of the Lord. It was given according to God's will. But at the beginning of the passage, right at the start there, the people of God met at the tent of meeting to meet with God to find his will. Although uh, God's will is sovereign, we need to seek it. The Lord's Prayer tells us, uh, Lord, uh, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray about God's will, don't we? 
It's worth asking, what is God's will? It's a question lots of Christians ask. Very briefly, God's will is really uh, two different things. He has a secret will and a revealed will. The secret will of God is the, the plans and purposes of a sovereign God that we don't know anything about what's going to happen or why it happens. I don't understand why people suffer sometimes the way that they do. I can't give an answer as to why that is. But I know that God is working all things out for good. How he's doing that, I don't know. But it's a secret, it's his secret will. I don't know who uh, is going to become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and who's not going to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we tell everybody about Jesus. It's according to his secret will. For God's sovereign will, we don't necessarily seek it rather than respond to it. For example, we don't seek suffering, but when it comes, we respond and we pray for perseverance. In God's will, as we know he's sovereign, we can seek peace, can't we? If we know God's in control, we can pray for peace. When you're changing a job or considering marriage or buying a house, the Bible doesn't give you a black and white yes or no. So we pray for peace over the direction that we take or that God would close the door. That's his secret will. But God also has a revealed will and that's the Bible. If someone comes to me and says, should I get married and the person's a non-Christian, God's revealed that. No, the Bible says no, that's not right. Or if someone says, should I uh, pay my bills this month by going to steal? I would say, well, no. The Bible says that's not right. He's revealed that will for us. But in both these cases, we come in God's secret will and his revealed will before God to seek him. And in chapter 18, we see that the people do this as an assembly. In chapter 18, verse 1, the whole assembly gathered. And it's interesting that we see here that God reveals his will to more than one person at a time. The whole assembly gathered. And it's important to notice when making decisions, trying to seek out God's will, we come together. Christianity is not an isolated religion. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's people gather together to seek God's will together. We need to speak to other Christians, asking them to pray for us and seeking their advice and counsel as we try and make decisions in our Christian lives. All things are under God's control, but we seek God's will together as God's people. So let's keep meeting together. And as we hear God's word together, as we sing God's praise together, we see his will revealed to us in our lives. And if we want to know what God's will is for us tomorrow, we want to know the secret will of God. There's some things we won't know, but if we want to know, we'll find out just by living for God today. Our obedience to God's will will lead us in the paths where God wants us to go. And in this respect, we see the second part of this section of Joshua. He allocates according to his will, but God's people need to take possession of their inheritance. We are children of God with the right to inherit, but we need to claim that for ourselves. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3, God said he'll give them the land wherever their foot trod. So there had to be a setting of the foot a treading of the foot, in order for them to possess the land. And in this section of Joshua, we see some examples that are both good 
and bad in possessing the inheritance. So let's begin with some good examples. First of all, uh, Caleb, look at chapter 15, verses 13 to 19. We looked at Caleb last week, but chapter 15 and verses 13 to 19 tell us the next part of the story we looked at last week. In chapter 14, Caleb is, he asks for the land and he's told he can have it. And in chapter 15, he goes and he possesses it. Let's read verses 13 to 19. It says, In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion in Judah. Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. From there, he marched against the people living in Debir, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksar in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sophia. Ophniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aksar to him in marriage. One day, when she came to Ophniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, What can I do for you? She replied, Do me a special favour. Since you have given me land in the Negev, Give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. Caleb here, first of all, teaches us the importance of claiming our inheritance individually and with God's people helping. The importance of claiming our inheritance individually and with God's people helping. The Anakites are mentioned here. They're the ones from Numbers 14 who are giants, who were so frightening that 10 of the 12 spies refused to go into Canaan. Caleb and Joshua were the only two that says, we can take this land with the Lord by our side. And as an 85-year-old man, Caleb's still not afraid of these giants. But as an 85-year-old man, he realises he also can't fight them on his own. And so he asks for help. He asks help from someone who is willing to marry his daughter. And he goes up and he attacks Debir. Now Debir, uh, you may or may not remember, comes up before in Joshua chapter 10. Uh, Debir is a place where it was defeated and it says there were no survivors. But after a long campaign in the north, it appears here that there were people there. Either way, there were people here for Caleb to attack and possess the land. But it wasn't attacked by Caleb on his own. It was attacked by Othniel, who was the one who agreed to marry his daughter. I was reading this and thinking, when my daughter's ready for marriage, it might be a thing to do. Maybe go and get a guy to go and attack a land. If he can defeat it, he can have the daughter. But obviously, that's, I wouldn't recommend that really. But I think here, in this time, uh, Caleb knew that it would be a good match for his daughter if this man could go in and do that. And so Othniel did and he won the prize. He got Aksar for himself. But the lesson here is not how to find a husband for your daughter. The lesson here is that we need to both fight for our land individually but realise that we can do it only with other people's help as well. But his daughter Aksar teaches us another lesson. She teaches us that we should long for more of our inheritance. Aksar teaches us we should long for more of our inheritance. She had been given land, it says, uh, in the Negev. We see that in verse 19. And this was a dry land in the desert, in the south. 
and she wants a spring of water. Now some of you may think, well, she should just be happy with what she got. But it's not a case of discontentment here. We'll see that later on. Here she just longs for more. There's a dryness and she wants to quench the thirst. And so she asks, uh, do me a special favour. That's why we know it's not discontentment. A special favour was a blessing. She asks Caleb for a blessing. She asks Othniel to ask him. Othniel doesn't seem to be wanting to go to his dad and ask for a blessing. But Aksar longs for it. And so she takes the initiative and goes and asks Caleb for a special favour, a blessing. She asks for a spring, a spring of water in a desert land. And it reminds me of when Jesus said with the woman at the well that he offers living water that wells up as a spring within us. The water that Jesus gives quenches our thirst because it keeps coming up. It's more and more. And sometimes there's a dryness, isn't there, in our Christian lives. We feel like we're in the Negev, in this desert of dryness. And we need to go to God and we need to say to the Lord, Lord, please send some refreshing water. I'm thirsty for you. I long for more of you, Lord. That's a good prayer to pray, isn't it? It's a bit like when we looked at Psalm 84 a few weeks ago. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Thirsting for more of God. There's a godly discontentment, isn't there, where we long for more of God. We're never this side of heaven where we really long to be in the presence of God. We can have wonderful times, but we know there's always more because God is an ever-flowing spring. Now, this isn't the only incident where uh, women possess the land. Interestingly here, we see two incidents of uh, where the women go and possess the land. We read about Aksar, but in chapter 17, if you turn there, we read about the daughters of Zelophehad. The daughters of Zelophehad. And they ask, or they teach us rather, to ask according to God's word. To ask according to God's word. Let me read verses 3 to 6 of chapter 17. Now Zelophehad, son of Hapher, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters, whose names were Mala, Noah, uh, Hogla, Milcar, and Terzah. They went to Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the leaders and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our relatives. So Joshua gave them an inheritance, along with the brothers of their father, according to the Lord's command. Manasseh's share consisted of ten tracts of land beside the Gilead and Bashan east of the Jordan, because the daughters of the tribe of Manasseh received an inheritance among the sons. The land of Gilead belonged to the rest of the descendants of Manasseh. Now, as a bit of background, we're not going to go there for time, but if you want to read it in your own time, if you read Numbers chapter 27 and Numbers chapter 36, we'll read the story of the daughters of Zelophad. And he died in the wilderness with no sons. And with no sons, there was no one to inherit. And the daughters did not want his name to die out. So they went to Moses and Eleazar the priest, and they asked if they could inherit the land. Instead, uh, well, not instead of anybody, because there was no sons, but they were, so that they could inherit the land. And Moses and Eleazar went before the Lord, and the Lord said, yes, if there are no sons, the daughters can inherit the land. This was done years before this time in Joshua. 
And now that the land was being allocated, the daughters of Zelophehad stepped forward and wanted to claim what was theirs by the word of the Lord. And the lesson for us here, of course, is that we can pray and claim according to God's word. In 1 John chapter 5, we read that if we ask anything according to his will, it will be given us. Jesus repeats the same things. And as we pray through the scriptures, God answers our prayers. So, for example, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, we read about God supplying our needs. If we pray according to our needs, as we read those words, God provides for our needs. It's according to his word. In the same chapter of Philippians, we read that in times of uh, anxiety, if we're not anxious but we pray, the peace of God that passes understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have peace according to God's will. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we read that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to confess, but according to God's word, he forgives our sins. James chapter 4, we read, if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. All these are given in God's word that we can claim for ourselves and pray for because God has said he will give them to us. Unbelief in these promises is is the bane of the Christian life, isn't it? When we don't believe. But God has given us these amazing promises, this amazing inheritance that we need to claim for ourselves. But in these uh, chapters as well, we see a number of reasons why the inheritance was not taken. We see some bad examples. Chapter 15 and verse 63, we read of the tribe of Judah It says, Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites lived there with the people of Judah. In chapter 16, verse 10, we read of Ephraim. It says there, um, they did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Giza to this day. The Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim, but are required to do forced labour. Judah and Ephraim both did not take What was theirs? Why? Well, uh, John Calvin says that their neglect of the divine command was from a love of ease. That was the real obstacle. They were happy with what they had. They couldn't really be bothered to go and get more. They compromised with God's enemies for an easy life. And that's easy for us to do, isn't it? We can go along with the crowd when they're sinning just so we don't look weird. We can use sinful means to get what we want, like the people of Ephraim were using forced labour. We can lie, perhaps, to stay out of trouble. We can do the wrong thing for an easy life, like we can just give in to our children and give them what they want without any discipline, because it's easier just to do that. We can profess faith in church, because it's easy here, isn't it? But when we go to work, we can just never even talk about Jesus and deny he exists. We will never have Christian lives of joy and blessing when we compromise with the things of the world. When we compromise, we will never have it. And we'll see later that we'll be discontent because there's not room for both. So there was compromise with the world, but also there was unbelief. Unbelief was another reason. Look at chapter 17 and verse 12. Yet the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns, 
So the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. They were not unable because God had not given them the land. They were unable because they were scared. In verse 16 it talks about chariots fitted with iron. They were scared of those chariots. Compromising with sin had led to unbelief in the promises of God. And when our head is stuck in the things of this world and we're compromising with sin, it's so easy to forget how awesome God is because we're not looking at God. We're looking at ourselves and, and sinful things and we forget how awesome our God is. Unbelief. And then in uh, chapter 18, we see just plain laziness and procrastination. Look at chapter 18 uh, and verse 3. At this point, we read this earlier, Joshua was given the land to the remaining seven tribes who hadn't possessed. And in verse 3, Joshua said to the Israelites, How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you? Joshua is basically saying, What's your problem? Get a move on. Why aren't you possessing the land? And lots of Christians would say that they didn't want to possess the blessings of, they would want to possess the blessings of God, but they'll do it tomorrow. How many of us say those kind of things? I, I really want to live for the Lord, and on Sunday we're enthusiastic, and on Monday morning we just can't be bothered. Well, Joshua gives them a kick here in verse 3 and tells them, get on with it. And maybe some of us need a bit of a kick as well. You know, God has so much for us. He's so gracious. He's blessed us so much. He's died for us. He's rose from the dead. And sometimes we can't even be bothered to get up in the morning. The Christian life is described as hard work. Paul uses descriptions of the soldier, the labourer, the athlete. Perhaps Joshua is saying to you, How long are you going to wait before you start talking to people about Jesus? How long are you going to wait before you get baptised? How long are you going to wait before you read the Bible regularly? How long are you going to wait before you get some accountability for the sin problems that you're facing? How long are you going to wait before you start spending time with your family that he has given you? How long are you going to wait? Perhaps some of us need that kick that Joshua gives them here to get moving. The survey of the land told them what they would inherit. We have the word of God. That's our survey. And we know what to do, don't we? We know what God's telling us. We have to get on with it. And there are parts of our inheritance that are not possessed. We know that uh, there's stuff that we need to keep moving on. There are unsaved people that we need to preach the gospel to. We know we're not as holy as we ought to be. We need to grow in holiness. We know that there is a hope of heaven, but we need to keep remembering that. We need to keep focusing on that and heading that direction. We need to get out of this this lazy Christian living that some people uh, can get into. We need to stop compromising with the world. We need to start claiming what God has promised is ours. And when we do, it's wonderful, because God gives us rich, wonderful blessings. But the final lesson we see from this passage is how we can be discontent, but we need to be content. God's people need contentment with their inheritance. Look at chapter 17 and verses 12 to 18. 
It says the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns, for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. The people of Joseph said to Joshua, Why have you allotted us only one portion of the land and one share for our inheritance? We are a numerous people, and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. If you are so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear the land for yourselves. They are in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaites. The people of Joshua replied, The hill country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who live in the plain have chariots fitted with iron, both those in Bethshan and its settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel. But Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are numerous and very powerful. You will, you will have not only one portion of land allotted to you, but the forest, forested hill country as well. Clear it, and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have strong chariots fitted with iron, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. The tribes of Joseph were the largest of the tribes, and they were split into two, Ephraim and Manasseh. And even Manasseh was split into two. Some were given land on the east, and these people given land on the west. When combined, they had more than anybody else. But they were not content. They said, why have you given us one portion? Well, they were actually given three. So they were lying or they were manipulating Joshua to get what they wanted. And they were proud of the fact that they were numerous. They had a superiority complex. We're, we're bigger than the rest. We deserve more. Notice the difference between these and Caleb's daughter, Aksar. She longed for more of the Lord. But here, they're just demanding what they see as their rights. Aksar saw it as a blessing of grace. Do me a favour. Here they're just saying, we deserve it. That's the difference between godly and ungodly contentment. Godly contentment says, I want more of you, Lord. By grace, I want more of you. But ungodly contentment says, I deserve more, when in fact we don't deserve anything. And I love Joshua's reply here. He basically says, if you're as big as you think you are, then go get it. But they were both discontent and fearful. Fearful of the chariots of iron. And when we are discontent... With God, we can't accomplish anything for God. Why were they discontent? Well, the root of it was sin. They had compromised with sin. In verse 12, it says, they were, the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. They had sin in their camp. And they didn't drive them out. And when God is not your greatest treasure, when you have God and then someone, something else is there, you're discontent because there's no room for both. In fact, compromising Christians are of the most miserable bunch of people in the world because they know the goodness of God. They know how gracious God is, but they're, they're, they've got other things there as well. It's just miserable. Miserable. And discontenting. We need to drive out sin and meditate on Christ and remember what we said again in Psalm 84, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Being in God's, God's presence is far greater than anything in this world. But look at Joshua himself. If you turn to the end of chapter 19, and we'll finish with just looking at Joshua. Joshua uh, has his allotment last. Caleb and Joshua, the two spies uh, that went to Canaan in Numbers, bookend the allocation section here. 
And it says in verses 49 to 51, it says, When they had finished dividing the land into its allotted portions, the Israelites gave Joshua, son of Nun, an inheritance among them, as the Lord had commanded. They gave him the town he asked for, uh, Timnath-Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he built up the town and settled there. These are the territories that Eleazar, the priest, Joshua, son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel, assigned by Lot at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord, at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And so they finished dividing the land. Joshua is a sign of contentment here. You know, he was part of that same tribe that were moaning they deserved more. If Joshua was a man uh, who was like that, he would have said, yeah, we deserve more, because he was part of that tribe. But he said no. And he waited to the very end, and he asked for a piece of uh, a city in the country of Ephraim. And he got given, at the end, by the people themselves. He never took it for himself. He was given it by grace with everybody else. And he was content. How was he content? Well, I think we read in this section, and in fact in this book, that he was in the presence of God. And when we're in God's presence, focusing on God, we can be content with God. We see that he's greater and more of a treasure than anything else. I remember reading a great book uh, a couple of months ago, uh, a Puritan book by Jeremiah Burroughs called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And he used a, a wonderful illustration. Uh, he he uh, described a barrel of beer. <laughs> and he said that when the barrel of beer is empty and you hit the barrel of beer, it makes lots of noise inside, doesn't it? But when it's full and you knock it, it's quiet. And I thought, what a wonderful illustration that he gives of Christian contentment. When we're full of God, when we're full of the Spirit, when we're full and and, and blessed with the things of Christ, we don't make those complaining noises, do we? Because we have Christ in us and are content with him. It's my prayer that as we read these passages, we would claim the blessings that God has given us and be content in Christ. The final verse reminds us that one day that work of possession will be complete. It says at the end, and so they finished dividing the land. And one day, when we're in the presence of God in heaven, we'll see that he finishes every word that he promises to give us. And forever, 